Hi, Broadway fans. Welcome to our special extra show this week, discussing The Normal Heart with Jeff Masters. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. I just love this song. If I could have this song as like the intro for every show I do, that would be excellent. And then I would probably get tired of it, but that's not the point. I am your host, 123 B on all platforms, and with me are Brianna and Jeff Masters. Hi guys, you can find me bfips14 on Instagram and Twitter, bfips1214 on Snapchat. Hey y'all, how are ya? And I'm on Twitter at jeffmasters1. And we're interviewing Jeff because he was actually in a local production of The Normal Heart that is still going on right now. So yeah. if you're here in Los Angeles and you want to go see a production of The Normal Heart, you have to check it out. It's um, I know that you guys have probably seen the HBO TV series or miniseries. Um, it was what? Two, two parts? Uh, two parts. Two parts. They showed it in two parts. Um, but the show is different. The show is different. And we're going to discuss yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. He's... <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. You can be biased. You know, it is different. It it's is an adaptation. Different. No, it, it <laughs> is. I like you wanted to say it's better. No, I was just think. I thought. I think it's. A, it was just a movie. The HBO version was it two parts? I think they released it. They in two aired seconds. it in two oh, parts. But it was. That's why in my movie. head it's a, it's a mini series, even though it's we can not, call it that. Yeah, it works. Definitely yeah. works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anything is more than one part, you have to consider it something else. Yeah. Because then, then you're just buying for time. It's true. Well, this is a semi-autobiographical play. Um, it was based on the life of Larry Kramer, who wrote it. Um, he based a lot of the characters. It was so hard for me. Like, I know it's a different person, but when I hear Kramer, all I think of is Seinfeld. It's that guy from Seinfeld. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, that guy wrote this play? Oh, no, it's probably someone different. I hope, like... But that's the only thing that comes to my mind when I hear Kramer. Yeah, and he actually did start um, to, uh, I guess... What would we call them? AIDS help groups? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, started, like, the, uh, sorry. No, please. It was the Gay Men's Health Crisis and ACT UP, which are two of like, the leading groups. And um, not only is it based on his experience, it's more or less like verbatim his experience. <laughs> <laughs> Just with different names. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he created uh, the Gay Men's Health Crisis. It was taken away from him. He's this angry, fiery activist. No one will, would listen to him. That's all in the play. It's, I mean, it's his he had story. It, he had failed relationships. I mean, he has a, I mean, he has a good I've one never now. had that, so I can't relate to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, exactly. He has a good one now, and it was actually someone he dated back in like the 70s and it's just they said that they were had to grow they had to grow up and he had to change a little bit and yeah so you know he was kind of that person that pushed people away for a long time but i do think that um actually one of the questions i wanted to ask you jeff is what you think what you think you would do in the same situation because i think now that i've seen the play and the movie i i thought to myself you know I don't know if I would be as brave as um, as Ned Weeks's character was because at the time, n now we kind of we come from this moment of hindsight where it's like we have we have more influence in the gay community in society and people aren't as afraid in bigger cities like New York to be out and so I'm in, in thinking in the mindset of the '80s. I'm like, I actually do see some some of their perspectives. Whereas it's like, I I could lose my career. Um, I I could lose, you know, we could lose our momentum in in our fight here by alienating ourselves even more than we're already alienated. So what I mean, what do you think you would do if you were in that situation? Uh, uh, it 
It, it, it's so hard to answer because at the point when the play takes place, which is like 1980s, early 1980s, I think it expands from like 81 to 84-ish, we knew so little. Right. And so they don't even know if it's a contagion issue. They don't know if it's an uh, if it's like airborne. Mm-hmm. If it's the government yeah, putting if, this into gay people to get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. During that scene too, like the guy has like this freak out, uh, the character Mickey, and he says, you know, is it the government? But also I love that he says, uh, it could be that I, he's in a monogamous relationship. He says it could be that I could be more at risk um, in a monogamous relationship because I'm having more prolonged exposure to the same source. And so there's just so many unknowns. That and to plus, tell it people, affected people so yeah. differently. Like some people died so fast from it, and some people lived with it for years and years and years before. Yeah, you could be a carrier without any idea. So, like, not knowing at all what to tell people to do or not do. Like, I don't know how you then tell people what to do. Right. Because it's it's really doing, like, uh, like big educated guesses, but Mm -hmm. they're only guesses. One of my favorite things about, about Emma's character was when she makes this big speech at the end. She's saying, you know, this is not just affecting the gay community. Straight people are getting it, too. And they're still, like... I mean, it's it's shameful because not only are these people not willing to help when they are faced with a big crisis, but they're also like, okay, well, we don't even care. It seems like you know oh, the, the, the like governor and the, the doctor, the doctor, the panel of doctors yeah. that she's on with at the end. Yeah, I agree. It's also too like to kind of like zoom out to different parts of the world. Uh, looking at like Africa, I've read th- uh, read things by different writers who talk about AIDS and it's affecting women, children, kids, everything and everyone in Africa, but for us, it was this gay disease. Yes. And so it's a really interesting like parallel uh, between like the way that we treated it as well, because it was affecting this marginalized community, and because a lot of the people in the community were, like you said, afraid to come out, it's hard to then fight right. when your friends are dying. Plus, right. plus, like from a doctor's perspective and stuff, there are those doctors, just like there are lawyers and stuff, who don't want to take anything that would be like a losing case in their mind. So if they felt like they took this on and like couldn't find a cure, then that's what they'll be known for, and they don't want to have that on their name. Yeah, I mean, you have, you're right, you have this brother character who, even though it's affecting his brother, he still, he, as a lawyer, does not want his firm to touch it. And it's not until he goes to somebody else in the panel of lawyers that he's able to get the law firm mm-hmm. to back them up. Um, his so, brother's character is so sad to me, too, because, like, it's, it's like, he, it's apparent that he still loves his brother. It's just so sad that he can't fully accept who he is to the point of, like, letting go of this, like, mindset he has of what gay is in his head yeah i mean it's you know it's something that i think today because there's more literature about it there are more plays about it there's more exposure to people that are different from yourself people cling to these mindsets when they don't know enough people so if he didn't if the brother didn't know any gay persons other than his own brother or people that his brother knew he was probably in his head thinking oh this is a you know this is a mental health issue or something like Mm -hmm. that and it's not until you start to learn about uh, until you take time to step out of your own comfort zone you step out of your own neighborhood and start to learn like what the world is really like. Absolutely. And it's kind of incredible timing of the AIDS crisis in the worst way possible that it was the tail end of this like sexual revolution. Yes. And so there's lots of talks of the bathhouses and gay men going there. And um, it wasn't like the tail end of it. It was the tail end of it because it ended with the AIDS crisis. If not, it might have continued going. Right. And so this kind of cut it off. So it was back to back with, oh my God, we can come out of the closet and we can be sexual creatures and uh, be treated as humans. And then we're being killed. 
yes. by this unknown disease that we think is a disease. And we think is being passed this way because one person's telling us this. And that was like the biggest thing that I think um, the doctor and uh, Weeks didn't like understand. It's like they were like, oh yeah, we'll just tell people not to have sex. And while the other characters are kind of like being like, trying to explain it i don't think he ever fully got like you can tell people not to have sex but you can tell someone like no, don't kiss someone ever again in your life and it's like people you're, take you, those risks you're no taking matter what. away yeah. a part of a person's happiness mm-hmm. to say that you're taking away a portion of a person's ability to to you know express their love by doing that i mean we still have, i mean even in any community we still have people having unprotected sex with strangers and stuff knowing that they could get a disease or whatever right. because it's just what ha- like people just are in that moment they don't think about like oh what are these repercussions that could happen to me if this happens they just want to experience that feeling and be in that moment yeah absolutely i think um you know i just i was thinking when i first um when i first watched the movie because i watched the movie before the play what really struck me that they're able to show in the movie that you can't really show in a play was the amount of people dying at the rate they were dying. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this particular um, play and the film make a big effort in showing you, like, this is how fast it was affecting the community and why it was so dire. Because we're younger, and so when I watched movies like Rent, you know, it's very poetic. So you don't, it's hard to understand. You only see one Yeah, and I mean, I had seen the AIDS quilt as a kid in the 90s, but still, you don't, there's not this level of connecting that to mass amounts of people all coming down with the same thing at the same time and how dire it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why Larry Kramer is so smart with the the numbers that he was yes. in the play. You know, in the very first scene, Ned Week says, you know, I have two friends that have come down with this. It's like wild. Like, what's going on? And then three scenes later, he's like, there's now been 10 people. And then you're closing out the act. And he's like, I know 40 people who have died. That's and, so many people. And it's like, as a viewer, like... You don't at first realize like how little time has passed. Yeah. You like because in your head you can be like, oh, it's a play. Like we're jumping forward in time. It's been years. And then like when they start talking about how long they've been with this group, you're like, oh, it hasn't really been that long. It's- and just the turnaround where you can you have these scenes where you're like people are feeling good one minute and the next minute they're being rushed into the hospital. I mean, Craig, the then the very beginning in the movie and in the show, it's like he finds out he has it, he feels fine and is completely okay, and then two seconds later is convulsing and dying. It's yeah. Like... And then something that I didn't pick up until uh, like many weeks in rehearsal is that the character Bruce, who's like the president and he's in the closet, he, uh, his boyfriend Craig dies in the first scene mm-hmm. and then he's dating somebody else who dies and then he's dating somebody else who dies. And I realized like, oh my God, he is one of these car- carriers yeah. that is just actual, spreading it around. The actual and in the movie they do it based... by, by showing, because they have that Rolodex Mm-hmm. Uh, thing yes. in the movie. Take- that, uh, it comes from a real story. Um, yeah. I forgot of who, but they show in the end that his card is being put away. Yeah, because the real Bruce Paul um, Popema, who he's based off of, did a, get the disease, and I think he died in, like, 89. Um, and the reason I, that uh, uh, Kramer wanted to make his character so much more likable is because of they always did actually have that huge fighting thing, and because of his death, and like he wanted to owe him that tribute of, like, I want to make your character be the character that everyone kind of sides with during the show. That's very nice. Mm, yeah. It's also like a brilliant character, the fact that he wants to help solve this issue. He's taken on the presidents of this club, and yet he's in the closet. In the closet. <laughs> and he can't go on TV to speak for it. 
like that complication is just so much about like what that time period was about it makes me think of all those underground newspapers where everyone has to like keep their identity quiet so they can spill the truth out but they can't like, like a burn be- book yeah and in my high school we had like um i love this mean girls book. reference um <laughs> We had an underground newspaper and one of the teachers, um, and a lot of us students knew who did it, but like most of like the uh, administration didn't. And they were like telling these stories about the administration, what they were doing at the school and stuff like that. And students were helping write the paper, but they couldn't obviously say their names or... It's Te- like whistleblowers. Teacher said that? Uh, uh, one, a teacher was a, kind of the wow, head of the paper. I've she never had heard of that. Writing it. That's wild. Oh, I thought yeah. that happened more often, I guess. Never. Never. I mean, I guess the equivalency right now is the leaks coming out of the White House, where yeah. if you think someone, you know, is doing something wrong, but you can't really show your face to the, yeah, to something that you you then leak it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing, speaking of the Bruce character, that was really powerful to me is is uh, in the play, it's a monologue. In the movie, it's a it's a scene where um, what his lover is Alfred, Al- Alfred, Alfred, Albert. Alfred. Albert. No, it's Albert. I think it's Albert. Albert. The one who, one of them. Who yes, dies. Albert. The one, the one who's right taken to Lover, the... Lover, Albert um, on the plane. The plane. one, that scene to me, um, and in Rent, you have this notion of like, will I lose my dignity? You you have this disease that's affecting your autoimmune system, so you can't take care of yourself. And they really, they really show that in the movie and the play where, um, where you have these characters who are like literally physically unable to prop themselves up you know and then you have this this uh monologue about the play about the plane where he's um like peeing himself mm-hmm. basically you know and then he dies upon landing the most powerful part to me about it is and, and the actor in your show does it so well is him almost laughing about it because and then all of a sudden breaking down yeah it's like it's like that mind process of like how everyone handles grief differently and like some people might be like why is he laughing about his lover dying but it's like sometimes like that's just how your brain like connects it and you just like there's so many people that smile in the wake of uh hardship and it's so real of an emotion that to have that kind of breakdown in that kind of way yeah it's almost like absurd too in a laughable way that like someone would have to like literally go through this mm-hmm. yes and that's the third person they've been with like in, in his mind yeah. like you know it's like this is the third person like i've been with three people now that have died like i'm like him realizing he's probably a carrier yeah and then again like they like they just did not know so he's able to say like well maybe my immune system is stronger i've not caught this thing Right. You know, we now know that that's not how that works, but right. we knew nothing. Yeah. And that, I mean, just the, you know, you have the pilot who won't fly the plane, and then you have this character who has been so reticent up until this point to even show anyone that he's gay is literally, like, taking care of his lover on the plane as they're trying to get him to, to meet his mom. And then this the scene about burying him where no one, because... Um, I forget why they there was something about the death certificate where they, they wouldn't, wouldn't bury they him. wouldn't put the um Bree's cause of death on oh, the okay. death certificate because they hadn't yet said what the name of this disease was and they didn't know and no doctors would examine him to give a cause of death because like, they were afraid, either of, they, getting yeah, afraid of getting it or anything else so they and then they would not legally pronounce him dead yeah and then they wouldn't bury him and he's like paying this guy under the table to just like help him get him out of the building you know and then get him to um a place where he it's like these people were literally treated worse than garbage 
Yeah, it's like it's that whole concept of will I lose my dignity? It's like it's already you're already dying in a way where you can't take care of yourself and it's so undignified and then you have the compounded effect of society treating you in a very undignified manner. It reminds me like not a hundred percent, but it's still like how I see a lot of people even just treat homeless people. Like that kind of like you know, like walk get away from the side of the street that they're on, not want to touch like if they give them something like it's still like not to the extent of like how they people with this disease were treated but we still treat people in these kind of ways today when we have this like fear of this unknown of what they might have or carry or do yeah jeff i wanted to ask you like what what drew you to this play and had you seen the movie before you started acting in this play yeah um i had seen the movie i was really familiar with larry kramer's work as well um i've read his novels um and you play the jim parsons yeah character um tommy yeah tommy Tommy. yeah um i'm a big reader of his work his uh his documentary on hbo is amazing i think it's called in love and anger which fits in very well anger um yeah no i've been a really big fan of his so when this like popped up um, to do the show, I've just loved it forever. So it kind of was like a no-brainer. Do you think that, because your character kind of is somewhat of the comic relief of the show, do yeah. you think it's kind of hard to be that when it's such a serious topic and such a serious... Um, not at all, personally. No. <laughs> yeah. I would honestly want to be that character because it's so depressing otherwise, you know? Yeah, um, like the play needs it. And so it was nice to ha- to be able to see that like, oh, at every opportunity possible, we need to lighten this up. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I I volunteer at the Trevor Project, which is like a national suicide hotline for LGBTQ youth. So I know how serious some issues are where you also, on the back end of it, are able to laugh at it and to talk about like really serious things in a non-serious manner. I don't want to say like we don't treat like kids with respect there, because obviously we do, but um, there's like a there's like a certain amount of like lightheartedness you need to have when you're spending day to day in these issues and so i think bringing that perspective of the show really allowed us uh hopefully <laughs> um allowed us not to be able to like get bogged down in the drama of holy shit this aids epidemic mm-hmm. i do think to me one of the most beautiful things about the gay community is that or the lgbtq community is that their resilience goes hand in hand with their ability to have a sense of humor. And I think that um, when you're when you're looking at movies like Paris is Burning, where you have people who are literally like homeless, but then they turn it in to this kind of drag competition. Um, I think they the, the LGBTQ community has a very good way of of saying this shitty thing has happened to me, but I'm going to turn it around and make it something really positive and and I'm gonna do something fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, nice to hear. <laughs> um, but also, like looking at like a like a long ass play, you can't be just bogged down in drama for the entire time. Oh yeah. You know, you need to bring those lighthearted bits to it. So um, yeah, I feel like lucky that my character was the one who um, most often, more other characters like can like pr- bring that along mm-hmm. too. I also um, just like love the character on its own uh, on his end because he's able to like laugh and make jokes, but then bring it back in and say, "Okay, like let's get back to work." Yes, it was... and I mean he's the one in that in that scene where he says, "Okay, we you're breaking down. We need to get you out of here." Yeah, there's there's this ability of him not just to be funny, but to also be like a, a voice of reason with when you have these two camps. It's like the Bruce versus Ned camps to to be like that person who's breaking up the fight and saying we shouldn't we need to calm down your character is one of the most interesting to me because it's one that we don't know from before like you you come in and 
we know you're from the south because you say it. Yeah. But we don't like know you. But you're here and you bring this comedy and you're hitting on Ned and you're, uh, like she said, c- helping out kind of break this piece of this fighting that's happening. Yeah. And stuff. So it's like, it's almost like you're kind of like this garden angel that came into the group to help out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you're exactly right. Like, he pops up in scene five and you've not met him before. Um, and nobody has. Uh, and then by the and then he proposes this idea for like a telephone hotline and the next scene we're doing this telephone hotline and the next scene like I'm telling like things are to happen and like very much like a core member of the group so um yeah I think that like that is also kind of mirror, mirrors the audience's journey as well you know they open the play and they know kind of what's going on but they're just kind of like getting into it and so like I'm like the new character to like be like hi I'm new too like we can do this together yeah that puts a lot of uh, like spotlight on me it's not all about me I promise (laughs) (laughs) but for me it is (laughs) Um, I was I love doing the research too because the real person that your character is based on Roger McFarlane he actually helps set up Broadway Cares which is a great foundation too yeah Um, Barbara Streisand I think is also a huge um, contributor to that as well but it was also just really sad and depressing to do this research and find out that most of these people did contract the disease eventually and even Roger um, I think he just died in 2009 and so it's it's such a crazy thing to think like another that far another follow-up movie I think if you if you guys are interested in the same subject matter is Dallas Buyers Club because not only do you so you have this fight to try and get people to say you need to figure this out this disease out and diagnose it and find out why people are contracting it but then you have an additional fight to say we actually know what kind of medicine can help this and we have you know health insurance is blocking and the to extent the government blocking our ability to get the medicine that we need which is i mean i f- feel like that still goes on today with other types of medicines it's like you oh, make yeah. them so expensive um you think of the whole EpiPen crisis you make medicines so expensive that people aren't able to access the care they need which brings me to my next point <laughs> which is your director um in the playbill says why today and she poses this question and then she kind of answers it um and I thought she doesn't explicitly say it, but I mean, we we have in this country an ongoing uh, problem with our healthcare. We what was the problem? I'm kidding. Oh. I'm totally kidding. It's too big. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is. But I I I was wanted to pose the question to you, like, what relevance do you think this play has today? For me, it was that the whole health issue, which is we in the United States seem to have these continuing problems with with giving people access to like medicines they need and science they need and the research they need to combat these diseases um and so even even where we might think we have a handle on the aids crisis today it still opens the door for you to learn okay this is some this is a problem that keeps happening so why like why does this keep happening how can we fix it yeah i view it a little bit broader as in uh the play is about a lack of acknowledgement in terms of like the government and leadership in terms of these life or death issues and that is still happening in a thousand different ways today be it the flint water crisis which is still ongoing um health as you mentioned but i'm also thinking smaller in terms of like the um guidelines that trump took back last week in terms of transgender kids yes. in schools how they're just a little bit less protected now and why is that a priority for the administration i don't know but they're taking a lot of protections and they're able to ignore and turn a blind eye to more marginalized communities 
And I think that is why it's so current, because that is the exact reason why the AIDS crisis in New York was able to go on as long as it did. I agree. I think that we still have a huge problem um, in the world in general of turning our backs on things and on people instead of reaching out to help. I mean, you look at statistics of like if there's anything happening, if like there's even bullying of someone stepping in to stop the bullying and help out, like it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So I think that we have a huge problem that you know goes all the way up to the government administration. Yeah, you have the administration takes so long to respond to what happened uh, in the Jewish community with the defacing of their gravestones and other um, other centers and whatnot, and then you have uh, the the two the two guys who were shot, and then the one guy who jumped in because. You know, they the one guy was I think it was two Indian men and he was saying, You get out of my country or whatever and then shot at them and then you have another guy jumping in. But an, again, an administrative non response to something that is an ongoing issue and it's again it's marginalized communities. Yeah, and it's also too because marginalized communities often are not able to advocate for themselves because they're dealing with so many things. Like right. they're advocating for uh like I'm thinking like uh I host LGBTQ and A the podcast and uh we have a lot of trans guests and uh trans people are like among the most discriminated people in the country among the most marginalized you know in terms of like access to healthcare, job discrimination housing and now we're taking away their like ability to use the bathroom in schools like how much how many things item on the uh, the list do we need to have them like advocate for themselves for yeah and so it just it makes it really tough whereas we the people in power can't only look out for the people who look out for themselves. You know, yes. they need to, like, broaden their scope. It's just crazy that just being, like, a decent person seems to be the hardest thing for our world to handle. Right. It's because there's this level of fear, and it's a level of fear of the unknown. And I think the more you, the more anyone is willing to meet new people and to get out of their zone and to just try and put themselves in someone else's shoes, that's the more you learn. Yeah, I also think that we are able to let ourselves off the hook because we think that, like, me personally, I'm not racist. And so that's the end of the discussion. So whereas, like, the president right now, I don't actually think that he thinks that he's racist, but his actions uh, are doing nothing to help people of other races. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you just saying I'm not racist does not acknowledge the fact that racism exists and is a massive issue. Right. And then you're right, you have what, to bring this back to the play, you have um, this scene where Ned goes in um, to talk to Felix in the um, newspaper office, and he's trying to say, okay, will you find somebody else here, or you write what we need you to write? Because his initial defense is, oh, I just write fashion. And he's like, okay, we'll find somebody else here who can help. And there's this there's this reluctance, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, there's this reluctance to speak out, not only because at the time, you know, you were persecuted if you were out, um, but at the same time, it's like, the more you're a squeaky wheel, the less people seem to want to even help you. So you're caught in this, like, circle. And Felix is the guy who works for the New York Times, and he nails the thing on the head when he says that I'm writing about the people in our community in the newspaper, in the New York, like, effing times, I'm not labeling them as gay, and that's how we're getting away with it. Yeah. So would you rather me not? Right. And, like, it's like, he's it's exactly like how much right. do we want to push the barrier? Because we also, you know, in any kind of stance you take, you don't want to overdo it because then that's just going to cre- create more tension and more reluctance for more people pushback. to accept. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a tricky, slippery slope that 
and it's a crazy the new york times did come out after this play was premiered and even i think it was after it went on broadway and they said that like no we were one of the first people to write about this like in 1981 like we didn't do any of this like they completely just yeah and i'm, I'm I, and there was like the, during this time uh, like a year before i think it was like 1980 there was this tylenol crisis and like seven kids died from tylenol and i think the quote from the play is that they wrote 40 articles about it mm-hmm. and in that span of time hundreds of of gay men have died and they wrote seven and one was like a paragraph on page nine and then finally we got a feature and a woman in baltimore was the one to do all the research in New York City to write this article. Um, so yeah, they did write about it. Sure, that's not a that's nothing you can argue, but like their attention to it <laughs> yeah. is. I yeah. just like that. That's their first thing is to just be defensive and like. It wasn't of course, you because they're like you weren't, thinking you weren't they're part like of the this New York is Times in that my, in 1981. You know, you think the paper to a larger extent is at one point a corporation. You know when you look when you really look at it and so they're like we gotta protect our brand our brand is not this anymore you know and it's like just suck it up and say you're sorry you know <laughs> well, was, whatever they also interviewed the mayor at ed knock right that's Koch. 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 why did i write backwards um it's okay Dyslexia he, happens. <laughs> he said that um he hadn't seen the play, but he hoped it was good. Like he just, he just wouldn't. Oh my god! He just wouldn't acknowledge um, any of their like. Why did you not help out? Why did you not meet with them? Why would you do this and this and that? And he was just like, I haven't seen the play. <laughs> we, <laughs> like, still to the, to this day, like, still just not addressing anything. Apparently. Neither do you, honey. <sighs> so a fun fun time for the government. Right? I know. I'm trying to. You know what? I'm. Um... I'm trying to think, do you have anything else that you want to tell us about your um, process as far as, like, what what do you, like, how did you prepare for this role? I know for me, like, here's an example. I was in the Laramie Project, and because it's based on real-life people, I spent a lot of time, like, doing research. Yeah. But I didn't, I specifically didn't read like reviews it you get into these mindsets where you're like okay i want to represent this character but i don't want it to copy the xyz too much yeah this is gonna make me sound like an asshole are you guys ready <laughs> okay i didn't do as much as i would for other things because i already knew so much about it right um i'm, a, I'm as i said like i'm a really big fan of larry kramer i've read his novels or his play there's another play after this uh i forget the name of it. piece of me a piece of heart i don't know there's a sequel ish HBO is working on it. I've read that. Um, I've wanted to do this show for so long uh, that I knew it really, really well. And I knew this time period really well. And I'm really into LGBTQ history. Uh, this takes place like, kind of after Stonewall. So I know about that. So I knew what was leading into it. So I felt really good about that. And then in my own life, I do a lot of... I don't want to call myself an activist because I think that takes away from other activists, but I would call myself an advocate. So again, like I uh, volunteer at the Trevor Project. Um, I'm actually doing a clinical trial for Truvada, which is like this AIDS blocking medication. Um, so I'm into it that way. I have my podcast where I interview different uh, LGBTQ people um, who are like making history today. Uh, I'm doing a lot of other things. So I, I, um, this one wasn't that big of a stretch. Right. We're the same exact age. We're both in the South. Um, he's a man of action. I like to think of myself as that. <laughs> That's what I loved when you said like that, like I'm a Southern bitch line. Yeah. Think of the play. Exactly. Where are you from? Like, That's Where are you definitely from? Jeff. That's exactly yeah. who Jeff is. Thank you. Is. North Not Carolina. Oh, okay. That just sounds like something you would say in real life. I feel like a lot of people here are from North Carolina at After Buzz. It's a bathroom state, baby. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. it's just LA is a transplant transplant city, so you just get a lot of yeah. people from the East Coast, Midwest coming here because it's 
new and exciting in Los Angeles. Yeah, but I've been waiting to this play for a while, so I feel like very grateful to finally do it. What did you think of the cast? The I I mean, I'm going to admit my bias. I did love also the cast from the movie. What did you think of the cast from the film? Oh, I love the film cast. I think they're the, amazing. Well, and didn't... um. I know that uh, your character, uh, Jim, Jim Parsons, Parsons. Yeah. was in the Broadway show yes. as well. He was the only one from the Broadway um, show, and right? What's, no, and um, Joe Colart. Joe, no, mm. Je- Joe Magnell, Magnell. He was in a small part in the film. Yeah, he played Mickey in the film, and he played Ned Weeks on yes, Broadway. Yes, on Broadway. Oh, okay. I was really surprised to find Joel Grey was in the show back in the 80s. That makes Off sense. Broadway. I no, feel like Joel Grey's in everything. It makes sense, but it's just like I feel like I hadn't heard of this play before the film. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. No, I hadn't. Well, I mean, obviously you did, but... Well, it's kind of like a pinnacle of, like, gay theater. (laughs) But, um, yeah, um, Joel Grey replaced Ned Weeks' lead character in the off-Broadway run. Um, I think before it actually premiered... he directed the Broadway, original Broadway premiere, or off-Broadway premiere when it came back. It's only been on Broadway once, which was in 2011. Yes, it was off-Broadway in the 80s. So he directed the off-Broadway one right before it went to Broadway. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, great. In 2000. I forgot, I forgot cool. to write them. He was yeah. He played Ned Weeks when he was still in the closet, which is kind of funny, like an odd little thing. He wasn't out publicly, which uh, I find <laughs> I would have an, an issue doing, like yeah. the seminal work of queer theater. It's also just and then you're lying to yourself and to the community. Yeah, and you know, like maybe he was out like in his personal life, but like to be like doing these interviews for it, I would have a hard time talking about like gay issues and rights and not relating it to myself. It's also personally just hard to look back because like us now knowing him. Yeah. Since he's been out, it's just like, how did you ever not know he was out? <laughs> kind of thing. And also, just, yeah, like we said, it was a different time. Yeah. Yeah. And like he's an actor, and that like affects casting, especially back then more than now. So yeah. and he had a daughter, and you know. Yeah. There's a lot that you have to like the thought process of like what you're gonna do at that time if you out yourself and it goes poorly for then your entire life. You know, you have to support people. You have to support yeah. yourself. It gets. It another another thing your director said that I thought was interesting in her thoughts from the director um, was that she sees this play as a place where the personal and political intersect. And I feel like that happens so much. It happens so much in marginalized communities where it's like the, you know, I don't want to say that it doesn't it doesn't happen to, you know, rich white men, too. But um, <laughs> but in marginalized communities, you have this point where it's like my life is almost becoming is a political thing just to live my life yes um and i mean to some extent it's like i feel that as a woman it's like i can't i where can i not be political if you're not paying me equal to some guy then i almost have no choice and so i I like that you have this, um, the Ned character that kind of sees, that's how he sees things. It's like, I, I don't have any other choice. We have to do this. He's handing out the flyers, you know. He's making that big effort. Um, what what do you say to the people that always tell artists, I just want to hear you do blank. I don't want to hear you talk about politics. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't think there's like a difference. Yeah. You know? Like, it's, it's everything's political. And also, when you, I mean, today, when you elect an entertainer as a politician, the leader of the free world, like, it's all intersecting. I don't know that there's a difference anymore between, like, politicians and celebrities. I think it's the same thing. Well, I think, the same thing. you know, like, celebrities nowadays, like, I feel like you can't even, uh, like, how are you going to tell them that? Like, every celebrity goes on to stage and says their political thing. Like, so if you tell them that, it's like, 
everybody else does it. Like what? Like yeah, my I, opinion is worth that too. Well, you're a. I mean, that's the thing is like you're an actor and a citizen. You know, yeah. it's like and your voice reaches a lot more than a smaller voice would. So it's kind of your duty to voice that, like to right. get that word out there because you do reach a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's just like a counter argument by people, often Republicans, who don't want to hear her from you. Exactly. And they or they, you, you know, the other thing is it, um, and again, it's like, it, as I was reading your director's thing, she's like, I lived in New York City in the 70s and the, you know, the 80s and 90s, and this was affecting people in my community. This was, you know, this was affecting my life, and it affected a lot of entertainment communities because there's a lot of gay people in entertainment. And um, a lot of gay people on stage, but also it wiped out a massive portion of the audience space for these yes. shows. So, like, we lost just audience, which you need to have a play. Right. Um, but yeah, my friends who were doing Broadway during this time, they said that the understudies would just be going on every night because they kept just losing cast members. And it was like a wild time to be doing shows when there's just new cast every night joining you because they kept just dying at a rapid rate. And I think of that moment where um, you have the, the I forget the actor's name who's, who was playing Hamilton, talked to Mike Pence at the end of the show, basically confronting him where it's like he's making he's making decisions that directly affect this guy's life how can he not have the right to stand up and say something when he has the chance to say something yeah um the biggest takeaway for me from the show is the end when they put those numbers up of even today well let's just say in jeff's show yes they list a lot of statistics too i didn't remember that um but was it had you seen those statistics before um, I know you didn't know that they even had played them. Yeah, no, I only saw them when we like started like tech. But um, and I mean, like the, we're talking, we talk about the AIDS crisis, quote unquote, being during the 1980s, and that is when this play takes place. But we actually lost more people to AIDS during the 90s, which mm-hmm. is kind of wild. And even today, it's still going on. Well, and during the 90s, it was I think people couldn't could no longer say it's only gay people because right. there were so many extra people. There was still misinformation, though, and that's what's sad. It's like even in the 90s, I remember you still had these two camps. You had, you know, you had people telling you, like, my dad's a scientist, and I was like, well, I saw the AIDS cold today, and can I get it? He's like, well, you'd have to, like, at your age, have a blood transfusion to get it, you know, Um, or be doing drugs. Um, And... And it's like there was a lot of misinformation out there where people still thought in the 90s that it's a gay disease, you know. I mean, this is it. When you start a rumor like that, when you start out um, pigeonholing something, people can't they they're not willing to like use their intellect to separate it sometimes. Well, I think that even today, like we we talk about it as it's a past thing, that it's not happening still. But it is and it's still very prevalent and if it doesn't get kind of under control if we don't find a way to stop it from happening like it like the uh the quota said we could be like half what was it half effort like every one of one out of every two african-americans could have aids like gay men, men. men african-american yeah. men yeah could have aids in like a certain amount of years it's it's a scary thing to think like we just want to write it off like it's done but it's not yeah i mean there's no cure so that's i mean you can't it's it's not like tuberculosis where you can say, okay, I have a cure for this, so you don't have to be worried about it. There is no cure, but I will say that uh, advances have been, advances have moved really, really fast in terms of HIV care. And so you can live a 
healthier, longer life than ever before, which is unbelievable. And oftentimes with good care, your HIV will like no longer advance into AIDS. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing time for medicine, but you're right. There is and absolutely that no is cure at the moment. That you saying that, I think that's a very important thing to say too, because I do think that there are people that don't realize still that there's a difference between HIV positive and having AIDS. Yeah. So I think that's a good point to bring up as well. Mm-hmm. Jeff, did you have anything? We only have a couple minutes left. Did I did not, but else? thank you for coming and letting me um, chat today. It's so fun. happy to have you. Do you want to tell you. people where they can buy tickets to your show if they're in the area and how much um, longer it's going to be running for? Yeah, it runs for three more weekends. Today is March 1st. I think it closes on March 24th or the 19th. I think it closes on March 19th for three more <laughs> That's weekends. That's a Sunday, so probably. Um, yeah, Google it um, or just check me on Twitter at JeffMasters1. I'll put up a link on there. I think that'll be easiest. But yeah, so fun. Yeah, and you guys time. should definitely check it out if you're if you have the chance because it's it's a really great production and check out his show the lgbtq and a yeah i have a podcast interviewing different members of the queer trans community um artists activists porn stars everybody it's super fun it does sound like super fun <laughs> and then you check us out here on sunday we're discussing the phantom of the opera phantom of the opera with uh james law jr is apparently telling me that he, uh, he has, has a something all because planned, he always has a costume but he won't tell me exactly what it is so it should be a lot of fun so definitely come and check it out that's so funny i hope it involves a smoke machine <laughs> just saying um well thank you guys for joining us here today that's all we have for this show but we'll see you on sunday thank you guys From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.